What's up, Rev? Okay, okay, that was a little bit better. I will settle for that. Come on and sit down, you pagans. Yes, Dave, I'm talking to you. Okay, um, thanks for showing up, guys. Uh, I just have a few brief announcements. Um, we have uh, small groups and service stuff throughout the week. Um, for those of you who do not know, I'll just do a brief uh, recap. Um, every Tuesday night, Dustin, no, Tuesday night, Shawnee State Bible Study. Um, if you guys go to college, we'd love to see you out there. Um, we understand the busy schedules. Um, we're walking through Hosea, but it's going very well so far. Um, and we'd love to see you guys and grow with you throughout the week. Um, uh, Dustin Cooley has a small group um, on Wednesday nights. He's going through like a basic uh, systematic theology, um, Christian basics. Um, it's going pretty well as well. So we'd love to see you guys if you guys are open uh, for something like that on Wednesday night. Um, talk to Dustin. He'd uh, be able to give you some more info on that. On Thursday night, Stephen is doing an Attributes of God study. Basically, the characteristics and um, uh, attributes, of course, uh, of God and what um, all that God is. Um, very, very good study. Um, it really shapes uh, our view of God and um, and without a good foundation on who God is, um, and, you know, it, that can really change our perspective of God and how we read the Bible and things like that. So if, if you're open to any of the Bible studies, um, please, we'd love to get you plugged in. Um, a lot of you guys came out to uh, the small groups tonight. So the women's and men's small group, if you guys did not know, we we're going to be having them at 5 o'clock before the service. Um, thank you all for coming out for that. It's a good turnout. Um, and on Saturdays, uh, 11.30 here. Every Saturday, we will be doing service stuff. We had a really good turnout. Tim was able to bring some of his frat brothers, um, and we did trash pickup and uh, prayer walk for the community, and so that was really great. So thank you all for coming out, and um, we really appreciate it. Um, it's good to see all you guys. Uh, we're going to play some music here real quick, and um, yeah, let me pray real quick, and we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this wonderful evening. Um, Thank you for the beautiful weather, the beautiful faces uh, that you brought here tonight. God, I pray that um, you would all, that, that you would um, just silence our hearts and our minds, God, from any distractions, and just really um, open up our hearts to hear what you have to say tonight through Dave. And uh, I pray that um, it would change uh, how we view you and uh, how we view the gospel, God, and uh, just help us to grow and to... Um, and to be the people you've called us to be, God, your people. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What's up, Revolution? That's lame. You're not even paying attention. What's up, Revolution? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Anyone listening to that song that was just playing? That beat was hot. <laughs> it's the widest thing I maybe have said all day. Uh, yeah, that was good. I want to know who that is. Someone tell me later what that was. That was awesome. Uh, so yeah, I'm glad you guys are here. I see a couple of new people. I'm glad you guys are here. Um, all right, man, we're, let's just jump into it, right? As Christians, right, if you're here and you're a Christian, or you don't even have to be a Christian to believe this, uh, but Christians, we believe in objective truth, all right? Yeah, you didn't know we were going to do a tad bit of philosophy starting off, right? Um, objective truth is this. Um, things are true or false. Whether or not you believe that they're true or false. Does that make sense? Like, if I walk outside and the sky is blue, 
It's blue. You might not think it's blue. You might want to argue that it's, you know, purple or whatever. It's, it's not. It's blue. You're wrong, right? Some things are always right. Some things are always wrong. Some things are true. Some things are false, always. But uh, here's some examples of those things just to get, like, your mind in it. White girls love leggings and Starbucks, right? That is just a fact. You can disagree if you'd like, but it's, a, it's true. Uh, another one. There, there is no good reason for a grown man to ever wear a fedora. Ever. Right? Wilder... <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Kelly feels very strongly. Are you trying to look like Wilmer Valderrama? Anyway, whatever. You're not a grown man. Um, <laughs> or like this. Nickelback is the musical equivalent of the flu, right? Like, it won't kill anybody, but like it makes you feel sick Like whenever you hear it. and mm, You know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> it's good times. All right, but seriously, like, here's an example, though, of, of objective truth. God exists. Whether you agree with that statement or not, it does not matter, right? That is an objective truth. God exists. Um, you can disagree, but it doesn't change how things are. These are facts. Now, I know the vast majority of us in here, um, if not all of us, uh, do agree with that fact, that God does exist. But, what about the specifics concerning God? Right? What about, you've heard the word attributes a lot, especially in the announcements with Cooley's uh, Bible study that he's doing. Right? Or Stevens. I pastor this church. I don't even know what's going on here three quarters of the time. Pray for me. Uh, I'm kidding. Um, just can't remember names. Anyway, so you guys have heard the word attributes, right? But like the specifics concerning God, his characteristics, his attributes. Can we all agree on those things? Right? Um, that he is good, that he is the embodiment of love, that he is the embodiment of justice, that he is actually kind and compassionate and all-powerful and all-knowing and merciful and sovereign. Can we all agree on on those kinds of facts about God? Um, Ultimately, can we all agree on this, that he is supremely worthy of our worship? Um, Whether or not you're a Christian, that he is supremely worthy of everyone's worship because he is worth it. All right, now, all those things that I just said, those are all true. Those are all true. And I, and I say that because Scripture says that they're true, right? And this is what God has to say about Himself is what's in the Bible, right? So God is every single thing that the Bible says that He is, no matter how we feel, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, no matter, you know, if, if we're depressed, God is still good. If something bad happens in our life, God is still merciful and gracious and kind and compassionate. No matter what the, what the situation is, no matter what you might be feeling or, or what your heart might be telling you, because a lot of people like to say that kind of stuff, God is whatever Scripture says that He is. Um, so I kind of wanted to start us off with, with those, with, with those kind of ideas, because tonight we're going to be taking a look at who Jesus is this evening. Um, namely, that He is the King of all things. Everything. He is, he is the supreme one over all of creation. And ultimately, because of that, He is supremely worthy of all of our worship from every single individual in this room and outside of this room, for that record, uh, for the record. And, and He always has been worthy, and He always will be supremely worthy of our complete and utter devotion to Him and love for Him, no matter how we might feel in the moment. All right, so we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. We're continuing on through the series. Did Jesus really say that? Um, and what we're going to see Jesus say is we're going to see, see Jesus claiming his kingship and declaring that he is worthy of praise from all of creation. 
All right, so we're going to hop into Luke chapter 19. We're going to be in verses 28 through 40. If you're new here, there are blue Bibles in the backs of those pews. You can take one of those home with you. That's our gift to you. Um, but it's going to be here on the projector that's not turned on. Or is it? Oh, it is. It was just black. You scared me, Corey. God bless you. He's so attractive, folks. He's just a cute man. Is that, is that inappropriate? I don't know. I'll let you judge that. Anyway, uh, jumping into verse 28, let's go ahead and go into it. After telling this story, right, so Jesus had just told a parable that we talked about last week of the ten minas and the ten servants. All right, so after telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. And as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. And as he rode along, the crowd spread their garments out on the road ahead of him. Right? So we're going to take a pause there before we go any further. What's going on here, right? This sounds like a really strange kind of way to start this. Story. So Jesus needs a donkey for some reason, and he wants to ride it, right? Um, what's going on is Jesus is headed towards Jerusalem. This is ultimately where Jesus is going to be crucified, where he's going to make atonement for all of those who have put their faith in him. And he stops a couple of towns over, stops outside of the city. And the first thing he does, obviously, we just read it. He tells two disciples to go ahead of him and go get a young donkey or go get a colt from strangers inside that town. Right? Again, this, this is this what made me laugh whenever I was studying for this. Like, they go in there. He's like, just untie the colt. If anyone says anything, just tell them the Lord needs it. It'll be all good. <laughs> like, I wish I could get away with that. Like, just tell someone Dave needs it. Just take it. Just leave Walmart. Just walk out. It's going to be fine. Right? But that's exactly what happens. They go and they untie this colt. It's exactly where Jesus told him it would be. Sure enough, the strangers come out and say, what are you doing with our colt? And they say, Jesus needs it. Right? And they just let them roll with it. Now, what is going on with that? Kings get whatever they claim that they need. All right, what Jesus is doing, right? Not so much verbally here, but with all of his actions, he's he's proclaiming his kingship over everything. Right? Jesus is king. I said we're going to talk about who Jesus is. I want us to get that front and center. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the second member of the Trinity, the Son of God. He is the King of everything. Right? So that's what he's doing here. He's telling them, go get it. Tell them the Lord needs it. Tell them the king of all creation needs it. And, and they let him do it. Right? Kings get whatever they claim that they need. The second thing we saw happen is, he says, go get a colt that no one has ridden. Right? This is another thing. I just kind of want to establish that Jesus is very strongly claiming his authority as king of everything. An unridden donkey, why? No one was allowed to ride the king's animals. I thought that was really interesting. No one can ride the king's animals except for the king. So he says, go get an un, or unridden, that's not a word, but you know, you see what I'm trying to say. Go get a colt that no one's ridden on. All right, another thing, why, why else the donkey? Right, we're just building this case. Why, why a donkey? Well, actually, there's an Old Testament prophecy about Israel's king riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. It's actually in uh, the Old Testament book, Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9. It says, you know, Israel, here he comes. He's riding a donkey in. He's lowly. He's humble. Um, a fourth thing that happens here, you see that the crowds of disciples, that's who was around Jesus. It wasn't just random people. It was crowds of disciples. They're throwing their coats on the road. Now, why would they throw their coats on the road? You guys ever watch any of those movies from like the 40s and 50s where like the dude throws his coat down in a puddle so the lady can cross the puddle? Not the most chivalrous man in the world. I always thought that was kind of stupid. Um, <laughs> 
why would I ruin my $50 coat so you don't get your shoes dirty? That just, especially if we're not married. Like, it's just the first date. Why would you do that? Anyway, um, throwing that out there. Babe, I love you. Don't love your shoes. Um, <laughs> right, but why would they do this? All right, they're throwing this out so, like, his donkey that he's riding on can ride over their coats. This is homage, right? This is what you would do. This, show, this is you showing respect for royalty. So this is what his disciples are doing is they're throwing their coats down on the road so that Jesus is... A donkey can just ride on top of them. Um, and then the fifth thing we see is they're escorting Jesus into the city. Right? Remember, his disciples are about two towns over, and they're escorting Jesus into Jerusalem. Now, what's really interesting there is that's, again, what you would do for royalty. right? If the Caesar or like the local area king was coming into your town, you'd go out and meet him outside of the city gates, and then you would escort him in. right? So that's what we see them doing here. So all that to say, just wanted to, so you guys know that I'm not just blowing smoke. Jesus is making a huge claim to be the prophesied king. All right? In the Old Testament, there's, like we're told that there was going to be this king come from the line of David. And Jesus comes from the line of David on Joseph's side. We see um, that, that his, his throne is going to last forever. And, and he's going to rule in peace. And he's going to rule in grace. And, and, you know, all the nations will bow at his feet, that, that this is God's chosen one, his Christ, his anointed one, his Messiah, right? And Jesus is saying, I am all of those things, right? I'm fulfilling prophecy about what the Messiah is going to do. People are, show, like, like people are declaring me king with their actions, and I'm not telling them to stop, right? So Jesus is making this huge claim that he is king of everything. But moving on to verse 37. And when he, this is Jesus, when Jesus reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all of the wonderful miracles they had seen. Right? So they're praising God for all the miracles they've seen Jesus do. Right? Um, like Jesus has proven his claim to be the Messiah in a ton of different ways. Right? He, he's doing things that only God has the authority to do. Right? He's healing the sick. We see all kinds of stories throughout all four Gospels where he heals lepers, but he himself doesn't become infected with their leprosy, which is just insane to think could happen. Or he's healing blind people and mute people and deaf people, and there are paralytics that he's just saying, get up and walk, and they've been paralyzed for their entire lives, and they're getting up and going. Right? This is nuts. Like He's feeding multitudes of people um, you know, supernaturally. His teaching is just unparalleled, and no one can make him like stumble in his words or anything. And he's raising people from the dead. That's always the clincher for me. Like, the dude's raising people from the dead. I'm going to go with him being the Messiah, him being the chosen one of God, God himself. Um, but again, verse 38, right? So he's, they're praising God for all of these miracles they've seen Jesus do. They're believing that he is the Messiah. In 38, this is what they're proclaiming. They're saying, blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Just to give you guys an idea of what they're really saying there, kind of breaking it down. They're saying, may God bless, right, blessings on this king. May God bless his chosen king. May God bless his chosen Messiah given to us because God himself is the one who sent him to us. And now we have peace with God, right, by this king. That's why they say peace in heaven. This is a way that they would talk about God without actually having to say God's name. Right, now we have peace with God by this king. And then glory in the highest heaven, glory to God for saving us through Jesus. Right, so they're proclaiming his praises. They're worshiping him. And Jesus is just reveling in it, right? He, he deserves all of this. And then here comes the, the party crashers, verse 39. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And Jesus replied, If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into tears. 
All right. So keep this in mind. The Pharisees hate Jesus. They're the religious rulers of their day. They're completely opposed to Jesus. They reject him as the Messiah. And here's what's nuts. They've seen the same miracles that the disciples have seen. They've seen Jesus raise people from the dead. They've tried to trip Jesus up in his words and his teaching, and they can't do it. They've seen him feed the multitudes. They've seen him you know, heal blind, deaf, mute, paralytics. They've seen him do all of these things. They've heard Jesus Christ claim himself to be God. They, they've heard Jesus Christ claim to be the Messiah, claim to be the King. right? All this kind of stuff. They've heard all of it. They've seen all of the same things. And then they have the gall to go up to Jesus and call him teacher. Think about that for a second. The disciples along the road are saying, blessings on the king. And the Pharisees go up to Jesus and say, teacher, you're just another voice in the crowd. You're just a teacher like the rest of us. You are not king. We reject your authority. We reject your kingship. We will not worship you. And there's a problem there because to reject Jesus is to reject God himself. He says, whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. Right? If you don't accept me, then you don't accept my father. So this is a huge, huge problem. And they tell Jesus to make his disciples shut up, and Jesus refuses. He says, you know, the rocks themselves will cry out my praise if my disciples don't. If, if humanity will not do it, creation will do it. And why? Why would he refuse to tell them to, to, to stop praising him? Ultimately, because he is worthy. And he knows he is worthy. And that's not arrogant, too. I don't know if you guys ever struggle with that. You know, Jesus accepts praise and demands that we worship him. Isn't that kind of narcissistic? Um, no. He's the only one with a legitimate claim to our worship. <laughs> or think about it. He is the actual king of the universe. He's the only one that can actually say, worship me, and this is not arrogance. This is just truth. This is just what you should be doing. And that's why he won't tell his disciples to stop. All right, so let's, let's stop for just a second. All right, we, we've looked at the passage a little bit. Let's stop and think about what just really happened, though. The Pharisees saw people praising and worshiping Jesus, and they didn't like it. And they tried to make it stop. Why? This is real simple. Why? Because the Pharisees did not think that Jesus was worthy of any praise or adoration. The simplest answer I can give you. They did not want Jesus to be worshipped or glorified or praised because they did not think that he was worthy of such praise. But then Jesus just point blank says back to them, yes I am. If they don't do it, then the rocks themselves will do it, right? That creation itself will cry out my praise. Creation itself will cry out how worthy I am to be worshipped. And just throwing this out to you, in the Old Testament, like there's a couple of places where it talks about creation crying out to God because human beings won't do it. You never want that to happen, right? That's really bad news for you if if inanimate rocks are crying out Jesus' praises and not you, right? And what Jesus is also doing, I thought this was funny because I don't mean to call Jesus a smart aleck, but like, He's kind of a smart aleck sometimes. Like, he's really funny is what I'm getting at. Like, not a bad kind of smart aleck. He's just witty, um, which would make sense because he knows everything. But what Jesus is doing whenever he says, the rocks will cry out my praises if my disciples don't, what he's saying, he's really pointing out the irony that inanimate creation can see what he is and who he is while human beings refuse to see his glory. Like, that just struck me as really funny whenever I was reading this. He's saying, the rocks can see what I am and yet you can't. How dumb can you be? Right? But let's think about that for a second. Um, Jesus deserves our worship and our praise. 
Everything that we are, absolutely, we are indebted to him. You know, scripture tells us on repeat, you can read it, it's usually in the beginnings and the ends of, uh, of like the letters in the New Testament, like the epistles. Um, scripture always says things like, glory to our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, glory to Christ, glory to God, our Father. We see things like that all the time, right? And, and I want to just, before we go any further, I want to break this down. Jesus is God. Jesus is Jesus is as well. All right, Trinity, it's real complicated. If anyone's got any questions, we can talk about it later because I'm not preaching about the Trinity this evening. Right? But anytime that we see the Bible say all praise and all glory and all honor and all worship belonging to God, keep in mind Jesus is God. Right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus is God. And we're commanded throughout the Bible to worship God. Right? So there's tons of stuff like this saying that, that we all of our praise and all glory is due to God, um, which means all of this is actually about Jesus. Right? Philippians chapter 2 tells us Jesus has the name above all names, right? and every knee will bow and confess that he is king and he is Lord, all to the glory of God the Father. Right? But then he, some people might say that this is like semi-blasphemous, but I just ask a lot of questions whenever I read the Bible. Have you ever asked why? Why does Jesus deserve to be worshipped? Just throwing that out there. I ask myself questions like this a lot. Um, but, you know, for the rest of you that are here, I'm really glad that you asked as well because, you know, that's what we're going to be talking about for the next, you know, 20 minutes or so. Um, you know, why is Jesus worthy of our praise? Why is he worthy of our entire life, right? Because that's what he says. If anyone wants to follow me, if anyone wants salvation, if anyone wants to be my disciple, you have to give up your entire life. Like, you have to hate your life in comparison to how much you love me. You have to be willing to give up everything. Lay down your pride. Lay down your ego. Lay down what you want for your life. Lay down, you know... Whatever it is that does not, or rather that conflicts with what Jesus wants, you have to lay it all down. Why is he worth that? Why is he worth our worshiping? Now let's think about the, the word worship or, or, or praise. This is whenever we show worth. We're declaring how worthy something is, what it's worth to us. Right? So if we're going to talk about worshiping Christ and why he is worth it, um, you've got to know this. It's not just singing songs. Right? Like worship is that as well. But worship is, is a lifestyle, right? Where every word that we speak, every action that we do, every thought that we have is all to his glory and to proclaim to the world what he is worth to us and to proclaim to ourselves what he's worth to us, right? And I'll say this about worship we worship whatever we stand in awe of. Whatever gets our hearts, whatever we see as bigger than us is what we worship. And there's this too we worship what we respect. We worship what we love. So why God? Why should we worship God? Why should we worship Christ? Why should we worship Jesus? All right, so what I'm going to do for the next little while, I don't have any, like, new truths, right? Like, I don't have anything that's, like, mind-blowing or, like, super profound. Um, I just have a, just a handful of simple truths that I want to reiterate to you guys that are incredibly important for us to know and be reminded of on a regular basis, Right, so why should we worship Jesus? First, He is the Creator. <laughs> right, think about this. He is the owner of all things. Whatever you make, you own. Like no one commissioned Jesus to make the world. Right, He's not like making this for someone else. And he's going to. It's actually theirs, and they just kind of gave him the money to do it. Right, that's not how it worked. Jesus created all things. He owns all things. And furthermore, because He created everything by the power of His words. Right? And he holds everything together by the power of his will. That means he is all-powerful. Right? He is omnipotent. 
Right? And, and we see that in Genesis 1. Right? In the beginning, God made everything. We see that from Genesis 1 to Genesis 2-4. We see you know, John chapter 1, verses 1-5. through 5. We see in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And not one thing was made apart from what the Word made. Right? And this Word is Jesus. So not one thing exists that Jesus did not create. Right? Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 22 tell us the same thing, that everything, Jesus is supreme over all creation. Everything in creation was made by him and for himself. Think about the raw power that Jesus Christ can speak things into existence. Think about that. Like just the raw power of Jesus Christ all by itself should make us stand in pure awe and know that we are nothing. I don't know about you guys, I can't make stuff if you give me an instruction manual. Jesus thinks it. Jesus speaks it, and there it is. And if he ceases to will its existence, it just stops. Think about that. He creates and he owns all things. That should should make us stand in reverent fear. This God made the world. The second thing, he made the world, he made you. We forget, like, I forget this sometimes. Like, it's how stupid that I am as a Christian. I forget that he made me. That he was intimately involved with you in your existence, right? Psalm 139 tells us that he knit us together in our mother's womb. Jesus says that he knows every hair on our head. Right? This, this means that you're not here by chance. Think about that. It's God's good, perfect will that you exist. And if it wasn't for his will, you would not exist. Right? And, and furthermore, like I said a second ago, Colossians 1.16 tells us this. You were created to worship him. So there's just a fun thing to throw out there. Why should you worship Jesus? Because that's what you were made to do. <laughs> right? Colossians 1.16 says everything was created through him and for him. Right? So we were made to worship him and he intimately made us. We're not here just randomly. He wanted us here. A uh, third thing. Why should we worship Jesus? He gives us everything that we have. There, there is literally like not one thing. I'm not trying to sound like Obama a couple years ago, but like there's not one thing that you have that you like did by yourself. Not a single thing. James chapter 1 verse 17 tells us that like literally every single thing, every good and perfect gift that we have comes straight from God. Think about that. Like you laugh. Like your ability to laugh at things, which I know some of you guys' sense of humor sucks because you don't laugh at any of my jokes up here. But like, hey, see you chuckled there because I put you on the spot. Um, (laughs) Right, but like our ability to laugh, the fact that we have families, the fact that you know you got here somehow with some kind of transportation, most of us here, if not all, um, have somewhere to go after church this evening. Like we have a home to go to, and if you don't, I'll hook you up, please. Um, but like we have, we have somewhere to go. We ate today. Um, you're breathing, right? Everything that you have has been given to you. It's absolutely straight up a gift from God. And and furthermore, we don't deserve anything. We actually deserve absolutely nothing. We're sinners. We rebel against God. We do the opposite of what he commands us to do. Why why do we deserve anything? We don't. And yet, all of these things that we have have been given to us by him because he loves us. Put that into perspective whenever you wake up in the morning and have a coffee or something. God gave you this, whatever it might be. That should inspire us to worship him. And then this one, and this is kind of where I want to land on um, this evening. So those are kind of some preliminary things. Why should we worship God? Because he is everything that he says he is. <laughs> We're going to run down some of this stuff. What are some of the things, what are some of the characteristics of God? What does he say he is? One of the, mo- like the most frequently cited 
bit of the Bible, in all of the Bible, right? Because the Bible will quote itself and repeat itself a lot, is Psalm 145, 8. It says this, The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. Right? So God is merciful, compassionate, and patient. Think about this attribute, like how, how, like how good that that is for us, that he doesn't just destroy us every single time that we sin. And that in our sin, he's merciful towards us in not giving us the hell that we deserve, in not killing us on the spot. And furthermore, how compassionate towards us is he that even in our moral failure, our sin every single day, he still loves us. Right? That he can sympathize with us in our struggle and in our failure because Jesus Christ himself lived a human life. Think about that. Or, or there's this. Psalm 136.1 says that give thanks to the Lord for He is good. He's good. Everything that He does is good. To, to kind of couple with that, God is the embodiment of justice. Right? Deut- Deuteronomy 32.4 says He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything He does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright He is. He never does anything that's not good. He never does anything that's not fair. Every single thing that He does is is righteous. You guys all know this one. 1 John 4, 8. But anyone who does not love God does not know God, for God is love. He is the embodiment of love. And He's unchanging. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So for all of those attributes, and those, that is not an exhaustive list. That is, that is a short and sweet list of all the things that God is. And to couple all of that, so he is all of these things, and he will always be those things, and he has always been those things. Now, why should we worship Jesus? Think about how ridiculously amazing it is that God is all of those things perfectly in one. Like, he is completely unlike us. Right? As a culture, he is everything that we say that we want to be. We want to be just. We want to be fair. We want to be good. We want to be loving, compassionate, patient, merciful. All of these things. He actually is those where we fail to be all of those things. Everything that we believe is good in the universe, he is the embodiment of those things. Right? And because like we saw in Hebrews 13, because he is absolutely unchanging, and this is, this is the crux of this whole sermon, because he's unchanging, that means that he is all of these things even if we don't see how that's true. Think about that for a second. He is all of those things, even if you don't understand. Regardless of whatever you're dealing with, regardless of whatever situation you find yourself in, regardless of your, even your perception of God, even if you don't follow Jesus, even if you're not a Christian, He is still all of those things. Right? So... Sometimes I, I believe that, that we don't think God is worthy of our praise because of the situation that we find ourselves in. Now, let's just shoot straight for a second. You get cancer tomorrow. Are you going to believe that God is worthy of your praise tomorrow whenever you find out you're going to die in three months? Is God still worthy of your praise? If someone that you love dearly, a mother, father, sister, spouse dies tonight is God still worthy of your praise is God still all of the things that scripture says he is is he still good is he still fair is he still righteous in everything that he does is he still loving and merciful and gracious and compassionate basically what I'm getting at is is he still all of those things whenever something bad happens in your life do you still believe that right 
Because I think our knee jerk is to say no. In those moments of suffering, whenever the situation sucks, whenever there's strife in our marriage, or things just aren't going our way, or you know, work sucks, or, or we don't have a job, or whatever it is, we tend to not think that he's worthy of our praise in those moments. I'm, I'm convinced of that because I know that I'm not insane, and I feel that way sometimes. <laughs> right, but I want you to know this. We live in a fallen world. Right? We live in one of my favorite things Matt Chandler, a good preacher, says, is we live in a Genesis 3 world. Right? Everything has fallen. Sin has entered into the world because of our failure, which means this. We were born sinners, which means that everything about us is finite, and everything about us is corrupted by sin. Our perceptions of our situations, our perception about who God is, about whether or not He's actually loving in every situation, or whether or not He's fair, and all of those things. Our view of who God is is corrupted by sin. That means this. That means that we can't always see the greatness of God. We can't. We can't always see His love and peace and goodness and all of those things. Right? It's because our biases, right? Our, our suffering, our reasoning skills, you know, whatever it might be, our various problems can obstruct God's worthiness in our eyes. Right? Nothing actually ever takes away from how worthy God is of our worship, but from our own perception, right? our own biases or struggles can take away God's worthiness from how we see things. But knowing that, knowing that every part of us is corrupted by sin, right, even like the good that we try to do is still marred by sin on some level, that should tell us this. You cannot trust your own perception at times. You cannot trust what you feel God is. Right? Like Jeremiah 17, 9 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says that mankind's heart is so corrupted by sin and so wicked that we can't fathom how bad that it is. Which means that we can't trust what we feel that God is. Or what we think on our own apart from Scripture. Right? Again, our thinking, everything about us is marred by sin. So we cannot trust our own perceptions. Right? And I'll, I'll throw this before you as well. Like, Think about this. Usually, we only agree, right? strongly agree or willfully agree with God's worthiness to be praised whenever His character or His will is lining up with our desires. I know I'm not the only one, right? Like, how, my wedding day, wasn't too long ago, still remember it, July 18th, gotcha, ain't gonna forget that one, um, my wedding day, I, I, I had, me and Autumn had covenanted ourselves together that we would love one another, and, and you could just feel the love in the air, it was every, it was beautiful, right, it was a good day, and, and as I'm, I'm getting ready to go to sleep that night, an overflow from my heart says, God, you are kind and you are gracious and you are so good and you are the embodiment of love and you are everything Scripture says that you are and all of your ways are righteous. Why? Because I got something that I wanted. Right? It was really easy that day. Right? Or like if you get a new car, right, that you had really been wanting, God, he really is, like, he is this good father that all good and perfect things come from and everything is a gift and he's gifted me with this. Right? You know, or whenever you come out from a sickness. God is so gracious to me. I'm not going to die anymore. Or someone I love is not going to die anymore because he healed them of cancer or whatever it is. That's whenever we willfully or strongly agree that he's worthy of our praise. Again, that should be proof that we can't trust ourselves because in the suffering we're not that willing to praise him. That should be proof that we can't trust our perception. But what can we trust? If you can't trust your own perception, you can't trust your own heart, and you can't trust how you feel about God at all times, what can you trust? You can trust God's promises about himself because he doesn't lie. 
And what are his promises about himself? All the things that we read up there. All of those things that he is. He says that about himself and he cannot lie. He's always faithful to his word. There is not one point in human history that you can ever point and say God lied. God was unfaithful to his promise. Ever. Even whenever human beings deserve God to be unfaithful to his word, he still was faithful because he cannot deny himself. We're told in 1 Timothy chapter 2. He cannot deny who he is. And I want to point this out to you too. And this, this blew my mind open whenever I was thinking about this sermon. None of those verses that we went through that declared God's character, that he is good, that he is merciful and patient and compassionate and righteous and just and all those things, none of them ever said anything like this. God is good, right? <laughs> Never. Or, or none of them said, God is good. Can't you see that he is good? Or, God is good so long as you can see it and perceive how good that he is. None of those verses said anything like that. Those verses all said, God declared about himself, I am these things. I just am them. Whether or not you see them, whether or not you think that I am those things, that is what I am. That's why whenever we suffer, that's why whenever we go through darkness, that we have to trust. Right? I'm not telling you to have a blind faith. Right? But I am saying that it's always easy to believe these things about God whenever things are easy. It really is. But the Apostle Paul tells us the righteous will live by faith. Now what is faith? I don't mean like this abstract concept of faith. Biblically, faith means that we trust God's promises about himself. We say that we believe that we're saved by faith in Christ. We're trusting God's promise that Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for our sins and has been raised from death to life so that we might live forever with him. That's what faith in Christ means. I'm trusting God's promise about his son Jesus. Faith is trusting God. So we must live by faith in those moments of darkness whenever life sucks and we're going through things and people around us are sick and dying or we feel cold and dead in our faith or whatever it might be. We have to trust that he is still all of those things. You know, back in the, in the book of Exodus, uh, it's one of my favorite books in the Old Testament. Um, God's hanging out with Moses. Uh, the whole burning bush scenario that you guys have seen absolutely screwed up by a couple of movies in the last couple of years starring Christian Bale. It's terrible. Did you guys see it? Show of hands. Hey, glory to God. Three of you saw it. Don't watch that crap. Um, but God tells Moses, God tells Moses in this burning bush, right? Moses says, God, who do I tell the Israelite people sent me? He says, tell them I am sent you. Think about that. That grammatically does not even make sense. <laughs> right? Tell them I am sent you. Now, what does that mean? I am. It means I am that I am. I will be what I will be. I am what I am, whether or not you think that I am what I am. I just am. I know I sound like Popeye up here, but bear with me. (laughs) I am what I am. Um, But that's what God's declaring about himself in just giving his name to Moses. I am. I always have been, which means I always have been all of the things that I say that I am. I always will be all of the things that I say that I am. Nothing can change that. Your perception won't change that. Your situation does not change who I am. Which means this. He is always worthy of our worship. No matter what we go through, He is always supremely worthy of our worship. Right? His worthiness of our adoration and our praise and our complete and utter devotion to Him is not dependent upon our ability to see or understand. Absolutely not. I am is worthy. Because He always has been and He always will be. 
Now, I'm sure you're wondering, why did I go that route with this passage that we're in in Luke? I don't know what everyone in here is going through right now, but I do know some of you. And I do know that some of you right now are in the thick of it, and it sucks. I know some of you are dealing with sick family members, and it sucks. I know some of you feel that no one cares about you, and I know what that's like. I know some of you are dealing with the fact that that people you love are going to hell, and they just won't seem to listen to the gospel. I know some of you are dealing with thoughts of loneliness. I know some of you are depressed. I know some of you are feeling like that your faith is just cold and dead. I know that because a lot of you have told me. So I don't know what everyone is going through. But I know a lot of people are going through something. Again, maybe it's because of health or a family member, finances, confusion over something the Bible teaches, stress, whatever it might be. But in whatever situation or storm that you're going through, you find yourself questioning whether or not Jesus is worth worshiping and following. Can we just be honest? I think anyone, given enough time, whenever if you've been a Christian for long enough, you'll be faced with that question you'll have to ask yourself. Or you'll find yourself asking yourself, is it worth it? Is Jesus Christ really worth it? Is He really all of these things? Is He really love? I fail so much. I sin so much. Is it really worth going on? Life sucks so bad. Does He really love me? Is He really worth following? I want to remind you of one thing if you find yourself there, because I know some of you have to be there right now. If for nothing else, if for no other reason, Jesus Christ deserves all that you are and all that you have because He has given you peace with God. Alright, that's what the disciples were declaring in, in chapter 19, verse 38 that we read in Luke. Right, blessing on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. Peace with God. He has come to accomplish our salvation. That's what that peace is. Glory to God for that peace. That's what they're proclaiming about Christ. If for nothing else, no matter what we find ourselves going through, Jesus deserves all of our affection because He has given us peace with God the Father. He has accomplished our salvation. He has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. He has saved us with His atoning death and resurrection. He has taken our punishment for our sin. He has absorbed our penalty for the things that we've done, for the wrongs that we've done, for all the times that we feel like that we don't want to worship Him or we don't desire Him the way that we should or we fail morally to obey Him. He has suffered and died and paid the wrath of God for all of those things to make us His children. If for no other reason, He deserves our worship because of that. Because the King of kings, the King of all creation, who is infinitely worthy of everything, condescended and made Himself a human being and made Himself a servant to save you. The worthy one counted Himself as worthless in order to bring you peace. Surely, He deserves our praise. Whenever I think about that, I think of my favorite psalm is Psalm 8. It says, what is mankind that you would think of him? What are mere human beings that you would care for them? We're nothing. And yet he has done just that. And why? He's done that because he loves you and he desired to save you. Even in our darkest hour, for whatever we find ourselves going through at any point, that thought alone should cause us to praise Jesus. That thought alone should cause us to give glory to Him. 
Right? Nothing that we face today or will face in the future should ever shake our conviction that Jesus is worthy because he has proven to us that he is everything that he says he is. And he's proven it to us on the cross. Right? Like the cross is the culmination of everything that Jesus says about himself in Scripture. Right? Everything is shown there on the cross. It is the great high point of all human history. Right? It, there we see God's love for sinners. So if you question God's love for you, look to the cross where Jesus shows that he loves you enough to die for you. We see God's compassion towards humanity and his patience towards humanity. Right? And his long suffering with us because even though we deserve hell, he sent Christ to the cross. We see God's hatred of sin and his justice and his righteousness and the fact that everything he does is right and fair on the cross because that's where he punished sin. We see his mercy and his grace towards the repentant because he promised us salvation by faith in Christ on the cross. We see his goodness and goodwill towards us on the cross because that's where it culminates in. Got you, Lord. See? Even like the rocks will cry out, the speakers will say an amen if you guys won't, Right? All of these things, all of these attributes of who God is comes together on the cross and declares to all of creation that Jesus Christ is worthy to be worshipped. Everything. So that's why I want to tell you, don't give up hope. Don't stop worshipping and following Christ just because your situation seems bleak. That's really what I want you to do. I want you to be encouraged. God promises that He loves you and that He cares for you and that He will take care of you. He promises that we, those of us who have faith in Christ, are His children and that whatever we suffer is for our benefit and for His glory. And we can trust that because we can look back to the cross and see, surely, if the most bleak, awful situation in human history, the murder of the Son of God, can bring about such a good thing, surely my situation can resolve to the glory of God and my benefit. Surely he loves me because he proved it on the cross. Surely he is righteous because he proved it on the cross. I want you to, I want you to be encouraged by that. But I'm also going to shoot straight with you, right? Like, I am not going to pretend that this sermon is a silver bullet for all of your problems. I wish it worked that way because I would preach nonstop every day to everyone that would listen to me. And I know you don't want that, right? But I'm not, going to pretend that, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that this is going to fix everything. And that if you just trust that Jesus is worth worshiping and you just hold on and you just keep following Jesus and you believe that he's worth your love and that he is all the things that he says he is, that all of your problems are just going to go away. Because they won't. They won't. And if some of these problems go away, other ones are going to come. They're not. You're, you're, it's, it's, your problems, at, at the very least, are not going to go away immediately. Right? I'm just going to shoot as straight as I can with you. But the reason why I wanted to talk about this this evening is because it's truths like this that we need reiterated to us on a regular basis whenever we find ourselves struggling because these are the truths that are going to encourage us and embolden us to persevere with faithfulness to Christ, knowing that He is all of these things. That's what's going to push us on. And I'll throw this out to you too. We persevere together. We persevere as a church as brothers and sisters, as family. I know the couple of small groups that met today, we talked about that a good bit. We persevere together. So what I want to do, and we don't do altar calls here at Revolution. That's, that's not our thing. Um, if you find yourself in one of those positions where you're questioning who God is, the goodness of God, His love, His compassion, His mercy, all these things that He is, come find one of us. We're gonna, all of us who are going to be on stage here in a little bit to play music, 
We're going to stay on stage for a while. Come talk to us. Don't be ashamed to admit it. You know, I'm not, I'll stand here. I question these things at least a few times a year if we're going to be totally straight with each other. Come talk to us. We want to pray with you. We love you. And if you're not willing to do that, then at the, at the bare minimum, get with another believer that you trust and that you know loves you and talk to them about this. Right? The Bible tells us to pray for one another. We're supposed to be family. Right? The Bible also tells us in Proverbs that iron sharpens iron. Right? We're supposed to be in communion with one another because we can't do it alone. We were never meant to do it alone. So don't suffer by yourself. Right? Let someone else share your burden. Be a family. But I want you to know that God is who He is. God absolutely is who He is. No matter where you're at, no matter the sin in your life, no matter the pain that you're feeling, no matter the situation you currently find yourself in, He says, I am. And He is worthy. Let's pray. Father, you're good to us. You, you declare in your word that you're good. God, help us to believe those things. Help us to believe that you are supremely worthy of all of our affection. God, I pray that you would use, use the scriptures that we looked at this evening to gut check us. And for us to stand in awe of how powerful that you are. And that you own all things, including us. That you made us. That you're the only one with a legitimate claim to worship. That you're the only one who's actually worthy. And that if we don't proclaim your worthiness, that the rocks will cry out that you are worthy. God, help us to not get shown up by a bunch of rocks. Help us to see who you are and trust who you are no matter what situation that we're in. Help us to see your worthiness. And if we can't see it in the moment, help us to trust that you are worth whatever we're going through, that you are still worth our affection. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.